Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. Joined today by Matt Eddy. The end of the Major League season is upon us. Uh, it's time to go back and review our predictions, what we got right, what we got wrong, and what's still to be decided here as the postseason unfolds. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Before we get into how we did, I have to ask, what has been the biggest surprise of the 2019 Major League season to you? Biggest surprise? Wow. You throw me for a loop right away. Um... I think if you look back at our predictions, I think there will, you'll find no surprises. That's the biggest surprise. Okay. What is it for you? I think just the struggles of the Cubs, how badly they struggled. Uh, this was a team that I thought would at least be a wild card winner, a probable division winner. But just seeing how things kind of fell apart, especially their road record, uh, really surprised me. And that's one, uh, one of the few that we got wrong as a staff. Uh, I think a lot of people probably missed on that one. We had the Cubs winning the NL Central this year. Uh, that obviously will not be happening. But on the whole, as of this recording, eight teams have clinched postseason spots. We got six of them here on our uh, preseason predictions back at the Baseball America season preview issue. So six of the eight who made the postseason, we correctly predicted. Uh, there's still a couple spots to be decided. If the Indians get into the postseason, we will uh, have had seven of the ten teams correct. That's the best we can do as a staff. Seven of ten, I, I will take that. Obviously, the Cubs in the NL Central being one, that was kind of a miss. But beyond that, most of the division winners, we at least had first or second place. The Twins kind of overtaking the Indians. We didn't pick that as a staff. We had talked about it. A couple people on the staff did pick the A's to make the postseason, even though the overall staff vote didn't have them. So for the most part, I think as a staff, we can, uh, we can be pretty satisfied with our picks. Matt, overall, what would you say uh, when you look back, kind of in the similar vein of the biggest surprise, if you will, what would you say were your biggest hits, if you will, in terms of preseason predictions and something you regret or something that didn't quite work out for you? Um, yeah, the, the Twins winning the Central, I had that one. And the, the Cubs winning the NL Central, I also had that one, and I have to wear that one now. <laughs> I think I had, in terms of wild cards, I had Red Sox in the American League. That, that's a that's a negative, and Mets in the National League. That's a negative. It happens again. There's always going to be some we get right or wrong. I think from an individual player perspective, that's what really stands out to me. You mentioned you picked the Twins to win the Central. Again, as a staff, we had the Indians, but the Twins were our predicted second-place team, and a lot of people talked about them as a potential division winner. You had picked Max Kepler as one of your breakout hitters. He got his extension before the year. 
Um, what were some of the things you saw coming into this year that gave you faith that he would be a breakout hitter of 2019? Uh, you know, for him, it was a lot of the, the batted ball and play discipline metrics. Uh, if you looked at his, some of his, his uh, metrics, such as his chase rate and his contact in the zone, they were very strong and certainly in, indicative of a, a better hitter than he has shown. Uh, also, as he kind of ages toward his mid-20s, and in fact, his um, you know his batted ball data on Stackhouse was pretty strong as well. He's just um, an athletic player, kind of coming into his physical prime, who had a lot of positive indicators. And then on the pitching side, you nailed it as well. You had selected Luis Castillo of the Reds. Now he had a, a really breakthrough kind of year two years ago. Last year it was a difficult year, but he showed some signs at the end of it. And then this year, uh, once again, pitching like a true front of the rotation starter. Again, that's another win for you there. What for you really stood out about Luis coming into this season? Yeah, it's a similar deal. You know, just really incredible raw stuff and youth on his side and a lot of positive indicators with the, um, the pitch metrics. You know, two swing and miss pitches and a lot, of, a lot of helium coming into the year based on his finish last year. He's always had excellent stuff. And as you mentioned, it was kind of figuring out how to harness it and make the most of it was, was going to be the biggest thing with him. Yeah, going back and looking through our staff picks on breakout pitchers, breakout hitters, there weren't a lot of successes. Uh, you were nails with Luis Castillo, Josh Norris picking uh, Tyler Glasnow with the Rays, but pitchers are notoriously difficult to predict. Tuki Toussaint, Herman Marquez, Corbin Burns, Nick Pavetta, some of the other picks that didn't quite work out. Uh, on the hitter side, a couple guys who, who did okay this year, but really you and Josh again nailing it with Max Kepler and, and Josh predicting uh, Tommy Pham to have a, a bounce back year and really explode in Tampa Bay. I know what's frustrating for me was in other places, whether it be chats or on other sites where I did interviews, I predicted Ahmed Rosario to have a breakout season. I predicted Brian Reynolds <laughs> to have a breakout season. I you did? Nice. Yeah, I had gotten those guys. I talked about Dom Smith having a breakout kind of year. But when it physically came time to put my picks in our magazine, I went with Willie Adamas and, and Herman Marquez. Um, neither of those guys had a breakout anywhere near the level of the other guys I had picked in other places. So that's frustrating, but so be it. Yeah, Brian Reynolds, that would have that would have put you over the top. Yeah, you know, I've talked about in chats and that I thought this was someone that people were pegging as a fourth outfielder that was actually going to be a really good everyday player and worked out, but it didn't quite uh, happen that way as I would have liked to have put that in this edition of the magazine. Matt, one thing I noticed, we talked about we got a lot of the top teams right again. We as a staff successfully, uh, or correctly, I should say, picked six of the eight playoff teams that have clinched as of this recording, have a chance to finish seven of ten. But the bottom of the standings, there were a couple things that were interesting in terms of how we saw things playing out, what actually happened playing out. The National League West in particular, we as a staff thought the Arizona Diamondbacks would actually fall to last place in the West this year. Uh, losing Patrick Corbin and A.J. Pollock in free agency was a part of it. I know for me, where I was right in a way was, and I mentioned this uh, when I picked them as one of my more disappointing teams, as a matter of fact, this was still a really good team with a lot of really good players. Uh, Eduardo Escobar, Patel Marte. You saw guys like Jake Lamb and Steven Souza, who at the time were healthy but ended up getting hurt. You still had uh, Robbie Ray. You had some, some good pitchers on the way that I saw coming up. There was still a team that I thought could compete, but when they traded Paul Goldschmidt, I really expected them to just fall down. That, to me, was you know trading your – 
middle of the lineup, heart and soul, the franchise type of guy. And that was, that was going to be kind of a death blow where I thought if they had kept him, they had a chance to compete for the wild card. Well, they traded him. Christian Walker stepped in and they hung in the playoff race pretty late in the season. So I think in some ways we were right about what was going to happen at the top. Um, and, and again, some of our last place teams are shaking out Orioles, Royals, or well, actually the Tigers are worse than the Royals, but Orioles, Marlins, et cetera. But I almost feel like it was harder to predict what was going to happen at the bottom of the standings than the top of the standings. And I look back at our picks as a whole, there's more wrong at the bottom than at the top. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. The Diamondbacks did have a sneaky good year um, with some shrewd trades during, along the way too, to kind of set them up for next year. Yeah, the Zach Gallon trade was was a really, really nice one. Again, trading Granky midseason as they did, that came out okay. Uh, there's still a good rotation there. There's some good young players. They did a nice job. Another team we thought would be a last-place team was the Texas Rangers. Uh, and again, when I mentioned missing at the bottom more than at the top, we thought the Rangers would be a last-place team. They're not. Uh, we thought the Diamondbacks would be a last-place team. They're not. We thought the Tigers would be better than the Royals. That has not happened. Some of it's because it's it's hard to predict, okay, who's going to sell off, who's going to really have some some bigger issues than some others. The Rangers, to me, are the biggest surprise of this season. I went into this year seeing uh, what I thought would be one of the worst rotations in baseball, and I liked Mike Miner. I thought he was still a good pitcher. Um, Lance Lynn, you know, was okay, but he's coming off a terrible year. But he looked at the rest of that rotation, and it looked bad. It was a lot of young but underperforming uh, position players. In a lot of ways, a lot of those things still happen. The back of the rotation collapsed. Uh, Joey Gallo played well and then got hurt, but Ruben Ador and Nomar Mazar did not take steps forward. And yet you look up and the Texas Rangers are in third place in the American League West. I'm still not sure how they did it. To me, that's the biggest surprise of the season. I endorse that. I, in fact, um, it, it's, it's something of a mystery. What, what do you attribute their success to? Uh, like I said, you're asking the wrong guy because, uh, again, everything I thought would happen happened, and they're still in third place. Um, you know, look, again, Mike Miner was, was even better than people anticipated. Again, he was the guy, the one guy in this rotation that you said, yeah, no, he's pretty good and he can do some things, but uh, he was a stud. Lance Ling had a really, really nice bounce back year. Um, you know, we saw some players come up and do some good things for them. Willie Calhoun is, is hitting in the middle of their lineup. So, Again, it's not like this was a, a talent-barren team, but it, it was a lot of guys who were underperforming. And look, let's not go crazy. This is still a team that's going to finish under 500. But I, I just thought this was going to be a 60-65 win team, and they're going to finish not too far under 500. And so for me, give the Texas Rangers credit. When I look back on what was I most wrong on this year, it wasn't anything at the top. It was the stuff at the bottom, and the Rangers are probably number one on that list for me. Yeah, the answer, by the way, is, is pitching because they are fourth, according to baseball reference, in baseball in wins above average on pitching staff side. Amazing. And again, that, that happened with a lot of the guys, you know, they had signed coming into the year, the Drew Smiley's of the world, predictably not working out. Drew Smiley, Shelby Miller. Um, mm -hmm. you know, there's was, there was more pitching depth here than I think they were given credit for. And again, that's a testament to – the pro staff uh, on the scouting side out there for, for bulking up uh, with, some, with some pitchers. And, you know, you never know what's going to happen. I, I can't sit here and tell you that uh, I, I thought any of this was really going to work. And, again, you go back and look. You have Lynn and Miner, but then, you know, Ariel Gerardo is a 5.81 ERA. Adrian Sampson's a 5.62. I mean, you go and look through it. I mean, 
it's still not easy to see exactly where it went right because none of these pitchers seem like they actually did that well. But they got some decent performances in the bullpen and two good starters at the top, and that was enough apparently. Matt, when you move on now to some of the individual awards races, as we come down here at the end of the season, we as a staff had mentioned Ronald Acuna Jr. and Anthony Rendon we thought would be uh, near the top of the MVP race in the National League. Uh, in the American League, we did have Alex Bregman and Mike Trout uh, as two of the top three contenders. The expected studs were the expected studs, but uh, one thing that really stood out to me is we had a lot of guys really break out in year three of their careers, or their third full season, if you will, and that's a pretty common uh, event. We see it happen really pretty frequently. Uh, Yohan Mikado was one of those guys this year. Josh Bell was one of those guys this year. Another guy was Cody Bellinger. He's someone that we did not mention at the top of our MVP predictions list, and he's in a very, very good position to potentially win the MVP this year. When you think back and go back to to Cody Bellinger and the type of season he's had, again, we acknowledge this was a good player. We had him very highly rated as a prospect and continued to throw him a lot of love in the majors. Uh, But for him to make this MVP level jump, was it something you saw as a possibility coming into the year? You know, probably not based on the way he finished last year, but uh, the the point you make is really sound about, you know, year three, you know, you go through your rookie success, maybe you step back a little bit as a, a second year player and then really emerge in your early 20s, your third year. So it, perhaps it shouldn't have taken us by surprise, a good player, you know, a great player in a great organization, but I think it kind of did. I mean, I had Arenado as my MVP pick, and of course he had his probably his worst year at the plate since his rookie year. So <laughs> I have no credibility here. Hey, you make predictions, you're going to get some things right, some things wrong, as as we've talked about in Mass. Again, on the whole, uh, looking back and kind of grading the staff, uh, you and Josh Norris had best luck in terms of surprise players. J.J. Cooper uh, correctly nailed the Twins as a team that would – contend again. Keegan Lowe going with the Nationals and Josh betting on the Rays to continue their success. Josh basically went with a lot of Rays for his biggest <laughs> for his biggest uh, surprise team, for his breakout offensive player, his breakout pitcher, all Rays, and they all delivered. So as I have learned the hard way many, many, many times over, don't bet against the Rays. Yeah, but the Rays were good last year. So Josh was kind of cheating because the Rays were good last year. They were, in fact, (laughs) last year. You know, one thing that we pick every year is which team had the best offseason. The Phillies were a very, very popular pick. Uh, You picked the Mets. It's interesting because as a staff, those two teams got the most votes. But we also did correctly pick the Mets and Phillies to finish third and fourth in the division this year and have the Braves and Nationals be postseason teams. In that sense, would you consider the Mets and Phillies seasons really disappointments? Again, there was a lot of expectations, a lot of hope from the fan bases, but they're finishing pretty much exactly where, at least for us, how do you grade out their seasons? Yeah, I think a lot of the advanced you know, projection models had them, you know, hovering around 500, a few games over, a few games under, and that's where they're going to finish. <laughs> um, so like in terms of where we picked them, um, uh, I, th- I think it's still accurate to say they, they had good off seasons. It's just things didn't work out and kind of the lack of depth was exposed in both cases. Well, I remember you and I talking about this during uh, our National League season preview podcast, how the back of that Phillies rotation, I mean, you're going into a season banking on Zach Eflin, Nick Pavetta, and Vince Velasquez to be consistent for you. You're really playing with fire there, and we found that to be true. The Mets obviously had 
a very roller coaster season in true Mets form. But, you know, when you're going to look back at the end of it, it was not a bad season. This was a team that saw a lot of its young players take steps forward, led, of course, by presumptive National League Rookie of the Year, Pete Alonso. Yeah, Jeff McNeil had a really, really really nice first full season. I mean, the Mets right now are going to finish comfortably above 500. They have remained in the postseason race. On the whole, I don't know about you, I do not consider this a disappointing season for the Mets. Yeah, only in the sense of what could have been had the bullpen been better, (laughs) been a lot more effective. But I agree with your overall point. Like, there's no shame in having a winning record. Like, we tend to look at things now in terms of did they make the playoffs or not? But I don't think that's accurate. I think striving to compete and competing and having a winning record are, I don't want to say worthy accomplishments, but it's, it's, it is an accomplishment. And again, when you consider everything that took place this year, I think you can say the fact that they're going to finish with the record they are is is encouraging in a lot of ways. Another category that we as a staff pick every year because we are Baseball America and the draft is where the magazine made its name was picking the top three picks of the 2020 draft. Not a single one of us had the Tigers having any of the top three picks in the draft and they have already secured the number one overall pick Mm -hmm. in 2020. It will be their second time in three years having the number one overall pick. Matt, when you look at the Tigers, where did it go so much worse than you could have anticipated or really anyone anticipated? I think you kind of have to look at that lineup and what they got out of Miguel Cabrera um, and even Nick Castellanos when he was there was not nearly as effective as he has become. I think if you're playing, uh, if you're scapegoating, I think you have to start there. Um, you know, because the pitching staff was predictably bad. You know, outside of Matt Boyd's uh, flashes of, of brilliance early on in the year, they haven't gotten a lot there either, but I think that was probably to be expected. You know, I remember talking to some people uh, kind of around the Detroit organization, and they talked about there was a point, team was just dead men walking. I mean, once it got 38 and 90, which again, it's it's amazing how bad it got, mm. how quickly it got that bad. You could see the team was kind of done. They kind of stopped, you know, really playing midway through the season. And you mentioned that pitching staff, Matt Boyd, Daniel Norris, Spencer Turnbull, they were all okay this year. The starting rotation wasn't terrible. Shane Green was great as a closer once again. They had some decent bullpen performances. Joe Jimenez, who was an all-star last year, Buck Farmer, uh, Nick Ramirez kind of coming out of nowhere. I mean, they had... Is that the Nick Ramirez, the converted first baseman from the Brewers? It is. Yeah. And again, I mean, they had some arms deliver, not all of them, but there was enough pitching to keep them somewhat afloat. Uh, I think you really have to lay the blame for 46 and 112 on that lineup. Again, Nick Castellanos, who for my money is, is long been one of the most underrated players in the major leagues, wasn't terrible with them. Obviously, he's been much better with the Cubs, energized by being in a competitive situation. But again, Cabrera just, you know, is what it is. But you look at Kristen Stewart, Jaimer Candelario. I mean, these are two young players you were looking for steps forward from. Uh, it did not happen. Josh Harrison, a veteran signing, that did not go well. You know, some of the other young players, you saw some steps forward from Victor Reyes, the top rule five pick a few years ago. Jake Rogers got to the majors. I mean, there were some some minor victories here. But on the whole, uh, this was a rough season. And I think, again, no one expected the Tigers to be good. We picked them to be fourth in the AL Central. I think a top 10 pick was absolutely what was expected of them. But they're 46 and 112. 
as of this recording. I, I think it's fair to say that's been way worse than anyone could have reasonably anticipated. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. <laughs> Matt, a lot of these season predictions we're looking back on, but there's still some things to be decided. One of the predictions we make every year is, of course, who uh, we anticipate being in the World Series. You picked the Dodgers and the Astros to meet again. I picked the Yankees and the Cardinals to meet in the World Series. Those scenarios are still in play. For you, any reason to jump off your preseason prediction of Dodgers defeating the Astros in six games? No, it was kind of a boring pick, but um, both of those organizations have um, lived up to their past standards and you know, have as good a chance as any teams to advance all the way. Absolutely. I think there's no question that the Dodgers are the class of the National League and the Astros are the class of the American League. Again, I picked Yankees over the Cardinals to begin the year. They're both in the postseason, so I feel like i got to stick with it. Uh, if I was picking today, again, the Dodgers and the Astros are the two best teams, and I think that would be probably where I would go with it. But, again, i got to stay with my Yankees-Cardinals pick. And again, looking through the staff picks, uh, every single one of us, except for Teddy Cahill, their World Series <laughs> predicted matchup is still in play. Teddy picked the Red Sox to beat the Dodgers in four games. But beyond him, Carlos, Justin, J.J., you, me, Keegan, Josh. It's always fun to look back at predictions, see what we got right, what we got wrong. But having six of the eight playoff teams so far correct and having uh, every single staffer but one, their World Series matchups still in play. I think the Baseball America 2019 season preview was, for the most part, a win. I'd say. When you look back on the 2019 season, what for you is kind of the biggest storyline? Obviously, the baseballs are the thing that everyone has talked about, but you tend to see things from a different lens, and, and that's a big reason why you're such an important member of the staff at Baseball America. On the whole, the 2019 season, what's been the story of the season to you, and what do you think is going to be the most memorable aspect of it? Well, the thing that's, that's fresh in mind is, is all the – is the kind of the stratification, particularly in the American League, where you have, you know, the haves and the have-nots are very distinct. There's really no middle ground. You know, it's a little, a little better in the National League where there's more middle ground, but just this, this idea of being all in and all out and, and teams not even really trying to win, I think. To me, that's, that's a big story, this whole – notion of competitive balance has kind of been thrown out the window with some of these recent rebuilding efforts. I think for me, my, my storyline is similar. I wrote about this last year, and it's kind of been even more the case this year. We have four 100 lost teams. That is only the second mm -hmm. time since Major League Baseball went to 162-game schedule. Uh, the American League did it in 1961. The National League did it in 1962. Uh, this is only the second time since then there have been four 100 lost teams in the same season. Uh, on top of that, after there being three 100 lost teams last year, the seven 100 lost teams in this two-year span are the most since Major League Baseball went to a 162-game schedule. I think having so many teams being this bad and this utterly non-competitive is problematic. And again, I wrote about it last year from 2014 to 2017. Four seasons, there was only one 100-loss team in four seasons. We've now had seven 100-loss seasons the last two years. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that I think is not a trend that you'd like to see. Again, I wrote about it in the article last year. Everyone's like, oh, you know, Astros, Cubs, Astros, Cubs, and, and to a degree the Royals too, stripping it down and rebuilding and going for the win. But as I've laid out before, for every successful rebuild, there's an unsuccessful one. And the way those teams did it 
a lot of the teams now don't have the same tools at their disposal. And what I mean by that is the international market is now capped what they can spend. And the amateur draft spending is now capped as well. Both the Astros and Cubs spent a lot of money internationally. And the Astros in particular went over slot, paid a lot of guys out of the draft to a level teams today cannot do that. So teams are trying to emulate the model under different circumstances. And I don't know you can really emulate it the same way with how the rules have changed now. So I, for one, have a hard time seeing a whole lot of good out of teams losing 107, 110, 112 games, in some cases consecutive years. The Orioles are currently 52 and 107. They could lose 110 games for the second year in a row. There's a certain level of competitiveness where you have to keep some players who are some kind of good. And the Orioles, to their credit, wisely have kept Trey Mancini. But uh, there's, there's a breaking point here where teams have to be more competitive than they have been for the long-term health of the game. I don't pretend to have the solution, but, but I do think this is a legitimate problem. Uh, again, teams being outscored by 300-plus runs over the course of a season, potentially there being two 110 mm. lost teams, getting close to it for the second year in a row. The only time that's happened before was when the Potters and Expos did it as expansion franchises. The cascade of losing at the bottom end is worse than it has been historically. This is beyond the natural cycles. That cosine. Yeah, sorry. That was a long, uh, long rant on my part. But it's something that stands <laughs> out more, more than anything uh, for this season. Well, well, I mean, you kind of hinted at the solution, and I think that's to free up the, um, the acquisition markets and, and not cap on what teams can spend in the draft internationally. I think doing that, you know, stop tying winning percentage to what you can spend in the draft. And I think it would encourage more teams to just spend more. I think you'll still find teams who will take that approach. JJ Cooper, our co-executive editor, wrote about the tank tax a few years ago. I think that's where it has to be more of a direct punishment for losing to this level, I think is the only way to really alter the behavior without that. It's tough to really enforce it any other way. But again, we've talked about the bottom end. There are some really, really good teams. Again, the Yankees are a 102-win team. This Astros team could be historically good, just in terms of the quality of play on the field. Uh, we've had the Dodgers win 100 games again this year. The Braves are at 97 wins. The Twins are at 99. So we could also have as many as five 100-win teams. Uh, and again, you mentioned the stratification. There is a lot of good baseball being played as well. And that's encouraging. So hopefully we can see some more of that in future years and maybe, maybe just even it out a little bit. Well, Matt, I think that'll do it for this edition of Baseball America podcast. Any final thoughts as a postscript on the 2019 season and Baseball America's preseason predictions? No, bring on October. That's the best month of the year. Absolutely. And I am back on the West Coast, which means I can watch playoff baseball end before midnight. It is uh, a glorious thing. I am so glad uh, to be back. I'm so jealous. This is going to be the year where I'm not going to stay up to watch games. So <laughs> you'll having, have to fill me in. <laughs> having two small children prevents that, huh? <laughs> uh huh. Life gets in the way. Well, Matt, thank you again so much for joining us and for everything this year. Uh, this has been another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and let us know what you think on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Matt Eddy, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, everybody.
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.